Welcome back to another episode of Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm Samuel Timothy. And I'm Taylor Rowe. Today's episode we was manufacturing focus and we dove into seven challenges, growth challenges and hurdles that manufacturing companies are facing today and how we overcome them, right? We work with a lot of manufacturing companies to help them overcome these challenges on a daily basis. So we dove into a couple of uh, tactics and tips that we preach to our clientele on, on how do we make that happen. So Hopefully you guys will enjoy the episode. Please give us a like, subscribe, and let's jump right in. All right, Sam, we got a good one today. Let's dive right in. In terms of you know what we're talking about today, obviously, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that at 1IMS, we work with a lot of manufacturing companies. Um, and so this is another manufacturing-focused uh, podcast. Um, you know, We work with businesses that are thriving uh, in the face of all the outside noise and challenges that manufacturing companies are facing right now. And we've also worked with companies that are that are really struggling. And so what we wanted to walk through today is some of the main challenges and hurdles that um, these manufacturing companies are facing. And we've identified really seven major uh, growth hurdles that manufacturers are facing today. And then we'll walk you through how we can overcome them. So Sam, walk us through the first growth hurdle, the first challenge that you see uh, most commonly within manufacturing companies? Yeah, I would say the first one is is the shrinking Rolodex, which is um, something that we've seen probably hundreds of times where we had a conversation with manufacturing CEOs and senior leadership who was coming to us and say, hey, my grandfather built his business on a Rolodex, had a good book of business. Uh, we knew all the procurement managers and then design engineers at all these companies. But what we're commonly seeing right now is the people on the, these Rolodex either retired or expired, and mm-hmm. they're being replaced by new recent grads from colleges that are coming into the place that don't necessarily have any prior relationship with any of the prior vendors, and they're going to market looking for new suppliers. So that shrinking Rolodex is a common challenge we're hearing as a hurdle. Absolutely. I think more than any other industry that, that we've worked in, manufacturing space is very relationship-based, relationship-driven. Um, and it's not to say that that's going to change, but these relationships have been what we've seen such long-standing relationships that exactly what you mentioned, the younger generation of, it's a family-owned business, younger generation is coming in, uh, taking over, looking to shake things up, trying to evaluate their existing vendors, existing relationships. And they just don't have those deep-rooted relationships that they used to have. And for a lot of companies, they've had a standard book of business that that may actually be made up of a small number of clients, right? It may have four major clients that make up a majority of the revenue and it's worked for them for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And things are, you know, just starting to change. And because we've heavily relied on, well, these are our clients, they work with us for forever. You know, we they never really focused on building a a sales engine, a marketing engine, anything like that has been designed to uh, generate customers. And so definitely a big problem of just that status quo of these are our, our customers, these are our relationships. You know, um, you know, you ask, you know, who's your best salesperson? They say, okay, well, Bill's our best salesperson. Does he use a CRM? No, he just has, you know, his network, his relationships. He, he travels around the country and meets with uh, all these people. He has a lot of uh, you know, IP in terms of his knowledge about the business, about the product that is not easily transferable to that that next person uh, to take that role. And so we've seen a lot of businesses in jeopardy because of this model of um, managing those relationships and managing those customers. Most certainly. 
I think the, the second biggest challenge we're hearing as far as a hurdle is there's no consistent flow of inbound leads. I think this is uh, probably common across every industry, and it's more so in the manufacturing sector for sure, where they don't they can for sure say that there's you know five leads going to be waiting in the inbox as I walk into the office every morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that goes hand in hand with the the first point, right? Is well, we've historically got all of our new business, uh, or you know, we just managed relationship with our existing business through our Rolodex, um, and now uh, that things are changing, and so there there is no. There is no inbound lead generation program. Um, a lot of, you know, we've worked with, you know, 10, 20, $30 million companies uh, or even more that that don't have a phone number on their website or don't have a form on their website, right? So uh, not only do they not have a, a flow of inbound leads, even if someone wanted to reach out to them, it's very difficult to, to make that happen. So I think that's a great point. Um, what's the third challenge that, that you see these companies facing? No technology in place to streamline, automate, or optimize sales process and lead nurturing. Um, this is crazy. You mentioned, you know, multi-million dollar companies, and we even had one company well past a billion dollars in revenue with no CRM in place. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they served the, the, the largest three auto manufacturers, and they were supplying products to them. And they said, well, these are all our existing customers. We don't necessarily need to have a CRM. And, and I mean, sure, sure enough, they don't need it because they have only three customers. Um, but uh, a company that size don't have a CRM was kind of dumbfounding. And, and then obviously there's a lot more of those that we've seen as well. Sure. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, in the manufacturing space, uh, every, you know, w- without, uh, without a doubt, every company we work with, you know, they believe they're the most unique company that's out there, right? Um, and, you know, well, this is just not how our business works and how, you know, this manufacturing works. And, and it is, there's some truth to the fact that there's it's a little less straightforward than some other you know B2B companies, right? In terms of the sales process, you still have to sell through distribution channels. You have all these things that it may not be as straightforward of a process to have a CRM. And I also think, you know, that success, you know, they say like sales cures all, right? I think success uh, masks a lot of these problems. Um, and they'll, you know, we, we have, like you said, we're, we've done a billion dollars in revenue or we've done a hundred million dollars in revenue, whatever the number is, uh, without a CRM. So we don't need one. Uh, it doesn't mean that you couldn't have done, you know, if you did a hundred million doesn't mean you couldn't have done 150 or 200 million. Right. So like, yes, you've had success, but can, can we improve that? And I think the companies that are continuously looking for improvement and increase in efficiencies are the ones that are obviously winning over the long run. And I think implementing the right technologies is a huge piece of that. I think a lot of manufacturing companies understand that on the production side, Um, you know, they're building automation, they're investing into uh, capital expenditures to make their operation run better to have a competitive advantage. Um, But for some reason on the sales marketing side, it's, you know, maybe a few years behind and understanding the value of that technology. Most certainly. All right. What's the next, uh, next hurdle here, Sam? So the other one is heavily relying on external contract sales reps or distribution partners to generate new business. Um, I think you know I think that's been the tradition in the manufacturing sector that hey there's a lot of contract sales rep I don't have to pay for their salary you know they represent me and a few other guys that I do you know that does the same thing and they bring me business and that's sufficient or hey we sell through distribution it's their problem to go find customers and make sure that they're buying my parts or products. Yeah. Um, I mean, that 
there's a lot of advantages to that model, right? And probably the biggest one is what you just described is, you know, a field uh, of commission only sales reps. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense and it's very attractive. Um, and it makes sense for those uh, manufacturers, reps or those distributors as well, because they can hold the relationships with these companies and then they can sell multiple manufacturers products rather than just being you know tied to supplier demand for one particular product. So the business model has made sense for a long time, but there's a lot of challenges that, uh, that face the manufacturers themselves when it comes to controlling the narrative, uh, uh, controlling the actual um, consistency or projections of sales, because they're not the ones selling. They can't force these reps to do anything in terms of what we just talked about using a CRM. Um, they can't control, you know, necessarily what they're, what they're saying. I mean, they can give them sell sheets. They can invite them to trainings and webinars and, uh, you know, all these kind of things, in-person events, try to educate them as much as they can on their product. Uh, but it's hard to, it's hard to control, uh, you know, a, a sales force that is not working directly for you. Right. So, um, I think the other thing to keep in mind is what we just talked about on the, uh, Rolodex, you know, kind of shrinking is like, yes, these people have these relationships now. Um, you know, is that going to remain the same when a, uh, a new person comes over, takes over that territory, whatever that may be. So, um, it's not a bad thing. Right. Uh, but I think there's, there's a model where you can sell either sell directly obviously the internet has changed a lot of things um where you don't necessarily need a, a bunch of outside sales reps for a lot of these uh companies you can have inside sales reps that can you know sit at a, a desk all day and do you know five ten twenty times the amount of work because they don't have that travel time um and i think you can you can control the sales a lot better by generating demand and bring those leads in through your own website um and then ultimately handing them off either to your internal sales reps or to your distributors. But it's definitely a big challenge for a lot of companies because you certainly don't want to, you know, bite the hand that feeds you right. And uh, it's not an easy transition. If, uh, if you do want to start selling direct, we've seen a lot of companies break off a separate, you know, brand. Uh, so they're not selling it. They're basically becoming one of their own distributors on uh, kind of private labeling it. Uh, we've seen companies, you know, selling direct, but uh, not, you know, making sure they never undercut a distributor. So, I mean, there's there's definitely some nuance there to to overcoming that particular challenge. But it is something that in terms of trying to focus on driving growth, uh, when you already have, you know, distributors rep in every region that you're trying to be in, uh, well, what, what else can you really do uh, to improve that, right? Well, you could focus on marketing so that they're your end customers are actually asking the manufacturer's rep for your brand specifically. Uh, you can you know build your own sales force, uh, or you could do some sort of a combination of the two. Yeah, and I think a part of the reason why sometimes they even stayed away from using CRM and things like that is because they didn't have access to the end customers. They were selling through a distribution channel or through a, yep. uh, a you know a, maybe like a, a you know manufacturer's rep, and they don't necessarily give them the full access to the customer, and that that probably why they, you know, in the early days, there was no need for a CRM and they were able to still operate without that. Yeah. And that, that idea of like a, you know, distribution network, a dealer network, um, I think is being challenged in a lot of different industries, right? Um, it's a, when you talk about creating the best possible user experience, buying experience, it's hard to believe that that buying experience is going to be, you know, I, I want to buy this part or this, whatever it is from this manufacturer, this machine. 
So I go to their website and find the information. And then when I go to call them, then they say, well, you know, refer to this list of our distributors and, you know, call one of them or call one of these dealers, find the dealer in the network near you and then call them. So like, it's just a, it's kind of a clunky sales process that I think, um, you know, again, it's probably going to be challenged depending on the company, the industry, and uh, the reasons why they're using a distribution network, right? Are they, is it simply for that the sales process, right? Where you're just paying these people commission to basically sell, even though they were already on your website, or is it true distribution? Like they have a warehouse with, you know, your products in stock that's closer. So shipping costs, all this kind of thing. So I think there's still that, you know, value added reseller uh, where people are bringing a lot of technical expertise to the table and doing customer service. Like there's value in that. Um, but there's a lot of companies that, you know, basically are, uh, if you want to call it drop shipping, right? They're, they're never touching the product. They're just uh, selling it and they're not even drumming up or generating the leads, right? Because the leads are coming directly from uh, the manufacturer themselves. So that part, I think, is going to be challenged a lot. That that scenario of I found the manufacturer's website, but now I have to go buy from somebody else. And that person, you know, never did anything in terms of marketing sales. They're just ordering a, you know, writing an invoice, writing a quote and sending it over. Most certainly. Yeah, I would say the next challenge is, you know, trade shows and traditional sales and marketing model is becoming less effective. And I think it is kind of in line with some of the things that we've already shared. Um, but I think, you know, if anything that we learned from COVID and, and having to be working, you know, remote and probably not even having access to an office uh, is the fact that you need to be able to reach your customers, uh, not through the traditional mediums, but through some more innovative way of approaching that. Um, so I think the the trade shows and traditional sales and marketing models becoming less effective is definitely absolutely and that uh, you know for, for many of the manufacturing companies we work with that has been their uh, model right is yes we have these rolodex um, these are our customers and then we try to pick up one or two customers per year from these you know three major trade shows that we go to and also we have to go because our our all the major players are there, right? We hear that all the time. Like, all the major players are there. All of our customers are there. So we go, we kind of wine and dine. Um, and it's just how the model has been. And again, it goes back to that status quo of, uh, are there other ways to generate customers? Is that really the best use of your time, your money, your budget, you know, all those kind of things. So um, I agree that COVID, you know, obviously put an end to those trade shows uh, for at least a little while. And I think a lot of companies realized you know, hey, we're we're putting all our eggs in this basket, uh, and also it is a, it's expensive basket, right? So uh, we'll we'll see how that uh, changes over the next couple of years. But I think it's a great point that definitely recently been a big hurdle for for companies. Hey, thanks for listening, Solomon. Here, are you frustrated because you're not getting enough inbound leads? You're worried that the leads that you're getting are not qualified or Maybe you're disappointed in the conversion rate from the leads to customers, right? It's really, really low. Well, I got good news for you. I talk to business owners every single day. You're not alone, right? Businesses go through this when there is a lack of strategy sometimes. Uh, maybe the approach isn't appropriate for your situation or sometimes you got all of those things right, but it was just poor execution. I'll tell you what, head over to oneims.com and fill out one of our forms talk to one of our consultants. That's all we do. We talk to business owners day in and day out. Share with us your challenges and see if we're a fit, right? See if we can find you a solution to your growing pains. You know, our hope here at 1IMS and especially with this podcast 
is to give you the tools, the technology, the ideas, the strategies, everything we possibly can for you to succeed. All right, so thank you for listening and let's get back to our topic for the day. Yeah, I mean, most certainly if you just take the total cost of uh, exhibiting at a trade show divided by the number of business cards you collected, you'll quickly realize what is the cost per contact a trade show is. Um, sure. So that's certainly certainly now very very much a sustainable model. Yeah, I think the the second to last is competitors are fears in capturing market share. Uh, this is you know anybody who's a forthcoming you know forward thinking company, they're becoming fierce in their approach to acquiring customers. Uh, and some of these manufacturing companies, like you alluded to earlier, Taylor, if they're kind of status quo, hey, we just do the same thing over and over again, and and just kind of remain that that way. Those companies are the ones who are going to suffer when competition is extremely mm-hmm. proactive yeah, in I mean, their efforts to Obviously, uh, there's a lot of constraints share. on manufacturing companies when it comes to production, right, in terms of uh, their capacity, um, labor shortages, all those kind of things, right? And so uh, the companies that are pushing the envelope and, and challenging the status quo in all areas are the ones that are succeeding. Um, and like you said, competition is is getting fierce for a lot of a lot of companies out there and there's alternative ways to uh you know manufacture things now with you know additive manufacturing and 3d printing and all these kind of things so uh the the everything is is really changing right and i think the the way that we um operate as consumers the way that we make purchase decisions as consumers is impacting the manufacturing space and uh you have to do whatever you can to to beat the competition and uh, you know maintain that market share. Most certainly, and the last but not least is private equities buying and merging companies. Uh, we're seeing that left and right. Uh, there's a lot of acquisition happening. Uh, we've seen that with many of our customers. I think it's just looking from the beginning of this mm-hmm. year alone. There's probably been about four of our customers that uh, that were acquired. And those acquisitions by those private equity companies, that wasn't just the only one that they bought. Um, it's probably a, a family of companies they acquired uh, within a, a span of such short time. Uh, part of the reason why I think that is happening too is because many of these businesses are discount purchases because they're buying them for pennies on a dollar. Uh, because oftentimes if they have not done a good job in implementing infrastructure and whatever marketing initiatives and don't have a good way to uh, operate profitability. They know, private equity knows if they can come implement some of those things quickly and uh, infuse some cash and uh, automate some things and they can get to yeah. profitability very quickly and flip those and get out of it. Yeah, and the reality um, so is they you know, it, the, it takes they understand the time value. and money to uh, to build a brand, to build a lead generation system, to address all of these problems that we just talked about. And a lot of manufacturing companies are so... Uh, you know, their their cash is all tied up in their, you know, their infrastructure, right? In terms of their their machinery, their their buildings that they own, all this, their overhead in terms of labor. Um, and so they, you know, typically operate on, you know, relatively thin margins and don't have a lot of extra budget to throw into marketing or throw into building a sales force. Um, and these private equity firms obviously do, right? They're they're putting a lot of money behind things. They they have marketing teams. Uh, they have marketing agencies and they're, you know, they're buying company, merging websites, building a brand, investing into, uh, you know, everything related to, to digital in terms of marketing. Uh, and so, you know, all of a sudden you're going to see a lot of these conglomerates of, you know, this company owns, you know, 10, 20, you know, different manufacturing facilities. And 
they're they're building competitive advantages uh, through acquisition. They're building uh, customer lists through acquisition, and uh, you know these small independent uh, manufacturing companies are getting eaten up. And the ones that are trying to hold strong and uh, you know do this on their own, uh, obviously, are up against a, a Goliath in terms of budget. Most certainly. Well, all of this has been kind of uh, sounds like a bad news. So what are some good news? How can manufacturing company leadership uh, kind of change the game? Right. Because I think at the end of the day, I'm sure none of the none of the audience that are listening here, mm-hmm. you know, having they're all familiar with all these con- uh, concerns. Right. They already understand some of these problems. So sure. what could so they proactively what we try to do, do to make sure that they are is, setting themselves uh, of up course, for success? Focus on the short term and, and see what we can do. What are some quick wins that we can generate some business? Uh, really to start paying for our marketing initiatives, right? If you look at your initial goal uh, from from marketing perspective, is like how many clients does it take to break even? And then can we start investing some of those funds into marketing, right? Because if that's the question is we can't afford marketing, well, how do we how do we make it so that we can't afford it, right? How many customers do we need to pay for these initiatives? Um, and really the second piece is like, how do we future-proof our strategy? How do we get into a, a scenario where, uh, we're not struggling for new business. We're not relying on Rolodex. We're not relying on our, you know, our distribution network to bring deals and bring customers to us. Um, and so what we do to future-proof our, our strategy for our clients is really three things, right? So the first being invest in technology. Um, all of these outside variables that we, you know, we kind of touched upon, um, all the challenges that they're facing, those seven you know, hurdles that you just outlined, uh, investing in the right technology allows us to do really a lot of things, but two major things. One, um, it allows us to uh, increase our visibility. Uh, and when we're when we're concerned about um, you know where our marketing dollars are going, uh, understanding and having that line of sight into uh, ROI, into where our leads are coming from, into uh, what deals are in the pipeline, into uh, a cost of acquisition, understanding. Um, sales velocity, uh, understanding um, profitability in regards to uh, you know which which leads are the most valuable to us, both short term and long term. Uh, all of that visibility allows us to make more informed, data driven decisions. Right. The other thing that um, it allows us to do is increase our capacity by providing some efficiencies. Right. So. Technology allows us to build automation, allows us to quickly create reports, it allows us to quickly look at dashboards and analytics and all these sorts of things uh, where if we can, as we talked about earlier, if we can build automation, if we can have, uh, you know, let's say a CRM, our marketing automation system that allows one, one inside sales rep to do the, you know, work of, you know, five outside sales reps, uh, that increases our our efficiency that increases our capacity, right? If each sales rep can handle 50% more leads because we're able to prioritize leads, we're able to build automation, we're able to uh, automate or uh, streamline the quoting process, whatever is a, a hurdle in terms of time, uh, just like you would say on your production floor, right? They say like a foot, footsteps are the most expensive sound in a, uh, a production floor, right? Because you, you want to be as efficient as possible. Same thing when it comes to sales and marketing traditionally it's been you know old school kind of boys club of you know we spend a lot of time and energy whining and dining and and traveling around the country and i think there's uh there's there's definitely a new way to do that and i think technology can be the first place that we start in 
providing answers to both of those. Again, visibility as well as increasing efficiencies and capacity. Most certainly, and I think you know some of the things that you mentioned. Well, and like, there's in-person ways, right? So again, increasing that visibility allows us to well, look right? at like there's who our best customers are. How do we go get more of those best customers? Um, and then when you prioritize those leads, those are the people you spend your time with, right? We've worked with manufacturing companies who, when we boiled the, boiled it down, they were spending like eighty percent of their engineering research was on or in, in engineering resources was done with like or spent on R and D for projects that we were just quote, they were just quoting, right? So they're spending a lot of time on customers that these projects or these products never actually went to production. And so like, they're just, you're just wasting time on the wrong people. Right. And without the right visibility into who these customers are, um, you know, what our statistics are on our close rates, um, you know, you're not going to be able to make those type of decisions. Most certainly. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, efficiencies uh, across the board is the most, the best way to create profitability as well, right? Whether it be for sales, marketing, or operations, uh, if you can gain efficiency and like you said, the visibility, that helps. um, Um, So the second piece, right, when we talk about how do we future-proof ourselves, how do we overcome these challenges, the second um, item we want to talk about is building your digital infrastructure and investing in your digital infrastructure, um, and the way that we look at this is a little bit different. Technology is certainly a piece of that. I know we said that was the first thing is invest in technology. But what we're really talking about is your digital assets, your 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 um, your website, your digital properties, your you know social media profiles, anything that you own in terms of your digital presence. Um, what we want to become is a a resource center for our clients, right? If we can turn our website into essentially the Wikipedia for our industry, right? We want to be the go to um, go to place our, our website, our web properties, uh, YouTube channel. If, if your potential customer has a question about, um, anything related to your industry, your product, we want two things to happen. One, we want them to think of us and we want them to go to our website or go to our digital app, you know, properties, uh, and, and learn from us, right? We want to be the ones controlling the narrative, um, educating our prospects, um, and that does, again, accomplishes both the short term and the long term. Um, we want to do this so that, you know, over time we become that go to place, uh, which which requires us to spend time investing into our digital infrastructure in terms of our content, our website, um, you know, transforming the way that we're educating our buyers and ultimately our distributors as well, if, if that's a piece of it. Yeah, most certainly. And there's a lot more ways. I mean, we talked a little bit about gaining efficiency. If you use, uh, you know, build a digital infrastructure that helps uh, your sales, uh, your salespeople do their job better, as well as your prospect find the information that they want uh, easier, that gains uh, a tremendous amount of momentum for organizations. I think there are technology that's available that right now allows you to do demos of your product through virtual 3D rendering and uh, virtual reality and all sorts of things like that, that actually helps explain your product, your process, uh, your quality standards, um, all of those things much more efficiently. And, uh, and obviously a picture is uh, worth a thousand words. And if you're using 3D and virtual reality, that's even better, right? So infrastructure, infrastructure yeah. like that actually adds a lot of value to your organization as a whole. Uh, it makes the life of the prospect a lot Absolutely. easier as well uh, for them to be able uh, to And the third the, point the that we wanted that, to, that's to right talk about is building what we refer to as brand affinity, right? And so what this means is, 
uh, we want your customers to have a really to have a preference to work with you or to buy from you or to use your products or services, uh, you know, that you're providing. Right. And so how do we do that? Uh, well, we, we have to, again, become that thought leader in the space. We have to become that informational resource. Um, and what happens is, you know, over time, um, people will, uh, you know, rather than, let's say, go to Google and search for, you know, whatever type of manufacturing company, um, we want everyone in our market to know and understand who we are and have a preference to work for us, work with us so that they go directly to our website, right? Or they call directly our, our company or our distribution network, whatever that is. Uh, but that allows us to have uh, faster, we talked about sales velocity, shorter sales cycles, because, you know, basically they're already sold, right? They know that they want to they wanna work with us, right? Um, we They also will be willing to pay more. Or if we have issues with, um, you know, our, our turnaround time or production, they're willing to wait a little bit longer because they know that it's a higher quality. They know that they want to work with us, right? And you see this happen on the consumer side all the time. And you look at what Apple has done and the way that, you know, people that they just buy the new iPhone when it comes out, buy the new MacBook, they'll, they'll go to the Apple store and, you know, wait in line to get it, you know, fixed or whatever that would be because they they expect a certain quality when it comes to Apple. They just have an affinity and it's complete, really in that scenario, it's a complete emotional uh, attachment to Apple. There's no real logical way that you could justify paying, you know, $1,500 for a phone when, uh, you know, if you sign up with AT&T or whatever, they'll give you a Samsung phone for free, right? I mean, th- like, there's no real logic behind it, except for there, people have a cult-like following towards Apple. And that's an extreme uh, use case or extreme scenario. But you see it in, in the business world as well. And, you know, uh, back in the day, not too long ago, there was, you know, the, the idea of like, no one ever got fired for hiring IBM, right? Uh, and that's that's kind of the idea that you want to build in your industry is, uh, well, you know, this the gold standard is X, Y, and Z company, right? And so that's the safe bet. Uh, we If you have to go through an RFP process, we want to always be on that list of like, yeah, we'll look at these other companies, but we also have to throw company A in the mix. Uh, that's, that's really all we're asking for as market is like, can we create more opportunities for our, for our sales reps and for our company to win bids? Um, and how we do that is again, we want everyone in our market to know, understand who we are, and we want to be associated with top tier quality or top tier service. Yeah. And the big difference, uh, between having a brand equity and, uh, just being a, just a regular vendor is if you think about, uh, how some of the, some of the ways that manufacturing companies have gotten customers in the past is through getting listed on a list like Thomas net, where, Someone could just go fill out a form or just go search for, you know, injection molding company, Chicago, found 17 of them, fill out all of their forms. And then you get, you know, quotes back and, and you just compare prices and you see how one guy is 17 cents cheaper per unit than the other guy. Well, I'm going to go with the guy that's 17 cents cheaper. All right. So the, the decision-making process and criteria has nothing to do with the brand. There's no relationship. There's no affinity. Uh, there's no trust built, right? And it's a completely a price war decision. But once you do some of these things that we've just described, you built an, an infrastructure and digital infrastructure. You have a technology that give you efficiency and visibility. And you are building on all of these things to educate your markets and, uh, and uh, create visibility for your organization. People are going to come to you and looking for you uh, specifically and want your support and your help. 
then if they are asking you for expertise and your quotes and things of that nature, then that decision has nothing to do with what other alternative options that they may have. And it increases your odds of winning Absolutely. those deals. Couldn't agree more. And, also increases um, your and that's the exact scenario of how, how that typically works, right? If, if there's no go-to player in the space, you're just a line item on a list of potential vendors and it comes down to, you know, cost per piece or, uh, you know, really a lot of times it comes down to cost, speed, those kind of things. And uh, the only way to combat that is to have people to have that affinity to want to work with your brand. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, the podcast. Hopefully you guys learned something, took something away from this. If you did, please uh, like, uh, subscribe, uh, share with a friend or a colleague. Uh, anything helps. If you have questions or topics that you want us to cover in the future, please send us a message, send us an email, comment on this video if you're watching on YouTube, or like I said, send us a, a question on our website and we'll be happy to cover those topics. Tune in next week for another episode. All right. So if you enjoyed this episode, here are five things that you could do to help us. Number one, make sure you click that subscribe button so you never miss another show. Number two, share this with a friend that you know needed to hear this. And three, leave us a comment. We love hearing your thoughts, your ideas, things that you've learned so others can learn from you. And four, if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, let us know so we can put that in our notes and share our insight All right, for our next episode or the one after that. And finally, you guys, join other growth marketers. Head over to oneims.com and check out all the resources that we have made just for you. I'm talking guides, webinars, blogs, videos, anything that could help you become a growth marketer. All right. So thanks a lot for joining us this week on the Growth Marketers Podcast, and I will see you next time.